This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bruce Lawn. Stop quoting that Bible verse. New series. We're going to try it out, see how it goes, see how the response is. I want to introduce you guys to some other amazing creators from the YouTube space that you, yes, you should be up on. Uh, we all come from very different theological backgrounds, uh, but we agree on the close-handed essentials of the faith when we talk about 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 2, John 3, 2 Corinthians 5. You know, Jesus is Jesus is God. Jesus rose from the grave. He literally died, literally rose, died for our sins in our place, and we're saved by grace through faith. And so without any further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, let me first have Trey uh, come up, unmute yourself, Mr. Pastor Trey Van Camp, introduce yourself, and uh, and uh, we're going to get to this verse after we do all of our introductions. So go for it. Yeah, yeah, quickly. I'm Trey Van Camp. I planted ah, a hold church. Hold up, hold up. There you go. Go for it. One more time. All right. I'm Trey Van Camp. I planted a church five years ago, uh, started a YouTube channel four years ago, and I'm a fourth generation pastor. So there it is. Oh, and I'm from Queen Creek, Arizona, which somebody in your chats is from Queen Creek. So that's amazing. All right. And we're going to have Jason go next. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, I'm Jason Mayfield. I'm a YouTuber. I'm the e- equivalent of a televangelist on the internet. And, and next week, I'm launching the greatest Bible reading plan for 2021. Hands down, com. Let's go. And then we have Pastor Roy. Oh, I'm Pastor Roy Dockery, uh, host of the Savage Truth Podcast, a uh, new YouTuber since uh, Ruslan keeps pressuring me to do so. So go check out that content. And I'm also a local pastor here in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. So... YouTube channel, but also an actual local pastor in the church here as well that's been around for like the last 19 years. So that's what's up. Hey, so again, one of my hearts is for a lot of you guys to get plugged into local churches. That's that's a huge value of mine. So hopefully as you guys are discovering new creators, new YouTubers, um, you would check that check out their ministries, you know, and and, and Pastor Roy has a church. Uh out in North Carolina, Pastor Trey has a church in, in Phoenix. It'd be amazing if we had a uh, a whole plethora of churches all over the country that we could refer people to as people come into faith in Jesus, coming back to faith in Jesus. Um, let's open it up with the verse, and then I'm going to let these guys loose. Okay, so the verse, mis- most misquoted verse, one of the most misquoted verse, all right? It's in the King James. Shout out to all the King James people. We know how y'all get down. Uh, I'm going to pull it up right here. All right, here it is, guys. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. And the King James says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I see that verse all over my uh, comment section. People say, hey, uh, you know, you can't have tattoos because you're supposed to abstain from all appearances of evil. Hey, you, you know, you can't listen to them rap music because you're supposed to abstain from all appearances of evil and i see it misquoted uh seldom is it read in context one of the rules here on this channel is i don't like doing verses let's do passages another rule for good healthy bible study is 
Scripture has to interpret Scripture. And those are just some good frameworks. So uh, I'm going to let the guys in. Who wants to jump in first on this topic? I think this is, is very, very commonly um, just quoted out of context. No con- no care in the world of what's before the verse, what's after the verse, what's this passage actually talking about. They just, ah, stop appearing evil. Ah. Okay, so let's go to the uh, let's go to our pastors. Who wants to jump in first on this one? Trey, calling on you. Go for it. Jason was about to jump in. Honestly, go, Jason. Go, so Jason. Fun. Yeah, go for it. Go, Jason. <laughs> okay, so this is what I've been really blessed with is I've actually never had somebody present to me that scripture out of, out of context because I don't post those kind of YouTube videos that gets those kind of people. <laughs> ah. As a church plant. <laughs> You get a lot of non-believers that have never read First Thessalonians five. So um, I mean, you don't, it's have just... any, you don't have any visible tattoos, Trey. That's <laughs> oh, touche. up there, tatted up with his blessed God hoodie on. You know, I don't. You know, come on. I know Jason got something. Jason looked like he might just a haircut. I just feel like it's an appearance yep. of evil right now. You look. <laughs> Here's the thing, for real. This got this got thrown at me a few years ago. Mm-hmm. This is how ridiculous we get on some of this stuff is this got thrown at me about a Power Ranger toy. Oh, my gosh. So I, if you don't know, now you know. I have a huge Power Ranger collection over here on my bookshelf. I love the Power Rangers. And so I posted a picture of, if you're a Power Ranger fan, you're going to know what I'm talking about when I say this. I posted a picture of Saba, the talking tiger saber, the White Ranger sword, and it's a sword that's got a, a white tiger on the on the head of it. And some guy said, this to kind of tell you what kind of guy he was. He said, hey, I've got some extra ammunition. I can come over there and offload and uh, get rid of that idol for you. Oh, my gosh. Because he thought it was an idol. It's a Power Ranger toy. Wow. You know? So yeah. I think, you know, the, when it comes to passages like this, my first thought, when it because when you see that, you when you put it in that framework, you realize how ridiculous it can get. But when I think about passages like this particularly or verses like this, there's two main issues with them. Number one is that this is a passage that we typically quote, not from our reading of the scripture, but from our hearing of the scripture. And typically we're getting the Xerox of the Xerox of the Xerox. Most of the people we're hearing it from, Come on. we're not hearing it from their reading. We're hearing it from their hearing. Come on. And we've heard it quoted in the King James over and over and over again. Avoid all appearances of evil, which by the way, most Bible translators would disagree with that version of the translation. Now, if you go and hit a Strong's, you're going to find that maybe your Bible says, you know, uh, avoid all forms of evil. Well, that word forms is, you know, can be translated as appearances, mm-hmm. but it can also be translated as decisions. Mm. So this is a really fluid word in the Greek. We have to be mindful of that. But the second problem with it is that this is a verse that like many verses that become the one verse that everybody wants to sit on is exceptionally subjective in the nature of its application. Meaning that if I'm more conservative than you, then I can say that what you're doing that's more liberal is sin. Mm. And if I'm if I'm less conservative than you, then I can say that, hey, you're not taking you're taking that scripture too serious. So it becomes too much of a sliding scale. So the question is, where's the line? Is it you know, when you go back to traditional Pentecostalism, is it that do women need to wear dresses 
or can they wear pants as long as they don't wear makeup and don't cut their hair or can they cut their hair and wear pants as long as they don't wear makeup or can you wear makeup and cut your hair and Mm. wear pants Mm. but it has to be within moderation where is the line in your mind Mm -hmm. that's good that's good all right who else wants to chime in just to offer what Jason was saying, and we was like, where does the context come from? And Ruslan, I think you would hit it like, read the next verse. Right. <laughs> right? Like, the next verse says, right? Like, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Mm-hmm. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. It, the next line <laughs> is let God... <laughs> help you right to abstain from every form of evil so it's not based on my opinion it's not based on my doctrine it's not based on how progressive or liberal i am how hip or how conservative how prudent or how lavish right Mm -hmm. like that's not it it says allow god but again when you can take (laughs) six words right and pull it out of an entire chapter out of an entire context to try to use it to prove your point that's normally that's normally a problem in itself right when you're trying to use the bible to justify your opinion, yep. you're, you're probably in the wrong, <laughs> yep. right? Like the, 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 the Jesus, you know, like the spirit of God is, you know, I tell people all the time, like the spirit of God is truth. So our interpretation of the Bible through that spirit should be the same because yep. it's the same spirit. So like when you're trying to use the Bible to interpret your mind, which is already flawed, broken, selfish, and individualistic, you're going to run into this, right? Because if I read, you know, the King James Version, it's all appearances of evil. If I read the ESV, it's abstain from every form of evil, mm-hmm. right? And then, because, and, and see, I normally, and so, Ruslan, you and I have been in the hip-hop game for a minute, That right? We get the form of evil, right? That you can't take hip-hop mm-hmm. in its form mm-hmm. and then, you know, and, and uh, you know, and appropriate that for the, for the kingdom. Yep. Like, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard some older Christians say, well, you know, if I if I muted this Christian rap video, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference, right? So you're definitely appearing in the form of evil because even if you say in Jesus, 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 Jesus for 16 bars, if I look at your video and it's sneakers and a gold chain and a vehicle, then you're appearing evil. And I'm like, and it's not what the scripture is saying. It's It's completely used out of context and we do it way too often um, to justify our own opinion and to try to take the judgmental, (laughs) selfish, biased, implicit biases in our own mind and impose them on other people instead of seeking the spirit of God, right? And seeking that truth. Like, yeah, there's a certain way I might want to respond to a guy who's dressed in all camouflage, getting out of a truck with a Confederate flag on it. But the spirit of truth in me is going to say, let me not assume he's racist. Mm. (laughs) And just right, and just approach him because to me, a Confederate flag is an appearance of evil, mm. right? Like obsessions with American flags to me are appearance of evil. <laughs> so like, but I have to, you know, but it's my responsibility, right, as the person who has the Spirit of God in me to check my flesh and my reaction against the Spirit of God, right, and then allow that to be what dictates us and allow God to give me peace, not trying to make everyone else make me comfortable so that I have peace because. The Bible says God will give you a peace beyond understanding. Come Not on. when everyone conforms to what makes me comfortable, I will have peace. Come on. Let me go to Pastor Trey. Uh, that, was, yeah. that was amazing. Go ahead. Yeah, that's um, amazing. I Just a little I would add. I mean, even you say, read the verse after. Read a bunch of the verses before. We yeah. exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Look, comfort the discouraged. Yep. 
um, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Um, that alone right there, right? See to it, no one repays evil uh, for evil to anyone. Uh, I love down here, uh, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Look, but test all things. Are you testing it? Are you really, are you just doing the lazy version of, oh, that's evil? Mm -hmm. And then really, I, what I like to do as a pastor, like when I'm doing one-on-ones and discipleship, how would you define evil? And really everything in this world, um, everything is good. The question is, what do we do with, like, I like to put it as you take something pleasant when you expect it to be perfect, that's when it becomes perverted. Mm. Right. And so like, that's the idea of like everything God created is good. It is overused. Like C.S. Lewis talks about that, right? It's either overdone or, or has the wrong motive behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just so silly. I mean, I just think that's hilarious that people find that verse and go off on, on Christian rappers and stuff. Um, I just have no words for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put the verse on a screen for everybody watching and, and a whole passage. By the way, this passage was trending on Twitter today, which is really cool. If you think about it, I'm going to pin the verse, the entire passage up because the passage is very powerful. Um, I'll pick it up at verse, uh, verse 15. Okay. Verse 15. It says, uh, it says that see, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. This is what was trending on Twitter today. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the elect standard version, by the way. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and uh, may your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you who is faithful. He surely will do it. The, the fact that this starts with um, Christian conduct, right? Uh, Trey mentioned earlier, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. So it talks about in, in, uh, encouraging people, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, uh, but always seek to do good to one another, right? And then it goes into rejoice always, praise without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, right? So this is giving us actual conduct for how we are to carry ourselves in the body of Christ, right? And there's actually much more do things in here, I feel like, than don't things in here. Here, right there's a lot of do's do this do this do this oh and by the way yeah do not despise prophecies which is interesting to say uh test everything hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil yet we use that as you know avoid all appearances of evil so i think it's just really interesting how that verse gets twisted how that verse gets uh just misused and abused and this was one of the reasons because you guys have there's some of y'all watching right now that may have even dropped this in my comment section regarding somebody's appearance and i just want to make sure that like hey passages over verses guys verses are great verses are great but let's think of passages these were not written as verses mind you uh these were written as letters to churches and in those letters those 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 chapters and those verses didn't get added on until hundreds of years later they're not added on but separated by chapters and verses trey do you do you uh, have the exact history of when the bible added chapters and verses uh i think it was in you can correct me if i'm wrong i think it was in the year 1700s that the verses got added right after we got like copies of the bible everywhere is that am i am i correct Oh man, I feel it. Jason, do you know that I I looked so dumb? For you I, I believe I, it my was apologies. I thought it was sixteen seven. I thought it was Gutenberg printing press mm -hmm. and made it easier for people to 
access. No, what do you I, say, I, Jason? I think it was mid 1700s because of Gutenberg, because right, once right, they right. started to distribute, the question was now, how do we take, you know, what for us translates to, you know, my Bible's uh, 1,042 pages that I have in front of me. How do I get everybody to get where they need to go in 1,000 right. pages, you know? All right, so we're going to jump into the, one of the one of the most the most just completely butchered passages in uh in in the New Testament, uh, often misquoted uh or not misquoted but more so just not accurately used with, you know, reasonable exegesis. Two passages. Uh one of them is in uh, let me pin this up here, right half. So this one, uh, this is First Corinthians, First Corinthians, uh, eight verse nine says, it says, "Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Does not become a stumbling block to the weak." Okay, and then uh, the other one, he echoes it in Romans. Uh, this is Romans uh, fourteen. Um, let me see. I'm trying to make this font bigger. Romans 14, it says, uh, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Right? So one of the things we see on here all the time is we see, hey, uh, that's a stumbling block to me. Ruslan, and you need to not do that. And I've I've literally had this thrown everything from music to uh, hair, right, to um, uh, 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 buying a Tesla. A, a Tesla may cause somebody to stumble, so therefore you're not allowed to own a Tesla, Christian, um, right? Uh, Yeezys, Jordans. All kinds of stuff. Hey, you can't do it because somebody somewhere might be caused to stumble by your uh, liberty, if you will, right? And 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 obviously this is about alcohol. This is about right. But to the point where we say we we, we get into a disputable matter and we say okay, secular music, whatever, whatever. And they always think they got you with the well. It says don't cause your brother to stumble. So if anybody anywhere can be caused to stumble by secular music, you're not allowed to listen to it. Well, it says that you know there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. But if anybody anywhere is, is called to stumble by, by Christmas, you're not allowed to celebrate Christmas anymore, right? And and again, it's a very manipulative, legalistic discussion. Disgusting perversion of the word of God. And yes, I use the word disgusting. Trey Van Camp had some great insight. I'm going to go to him first because I think this is good. But feel free to just kind of, if you guys want to unpack the verse, context, any of that stuff, I want to hear from you guys. Who's pinned? Am I pinned? You're pinned. Well, we're all pinned right now, but I can go back and forth. Go for it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, and I mentioned this on another video of yours, is I think we really confuse morality with maturity. And I think... What it is, honestly, too, I think a lot of this is in the context of actually living in community. Um, And I wouldn't say like just watching somebody's YouTube channel is like this life on life community. Mm -hmm. So like I know the weaknesses of my brothers and sisters in my local church. And I am very mindful of how I present myself and different things I do around them because I know their inherent weaknesses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but man, I, I think we really we we take these issues of maturity. And the problem is. Oh man, it's just, we, we, again, we, we lift them up to the level of morality and you just make it so black and white. 
And it's just, it really is lazy thinking. It is not critical at all. Um, and uh, that's just my biggest thing. I'll let somebody else jump in. I have a couple more thoughts, but but morality versus maturity here is is huge. Um, yeah, what, what, do you, what are you guys going to say? Yeah, I mean, in the, you know, when you really take a moment for that context, you know, and context is king. You know, and really, honestly, I think one of the greatest forms of Bible study is to just consistently be backing up. You know, it's easy to say, you know, it's not just verses, it's chapters, but it's also not just chapters, it's books. It's also mm, not right. books, it's testaments, it's Come not on. testaments, it's the Bible. And so, you know, when I talk yeah. to people about how to understand the Bible, just read the whole thing over and 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 just continue that cycle as long as you can. But in this particular context, especially in Romans more specifically, we would assume probably uh, the same in 1 Corinthians coming out of chapter 8 there, is that he's talking specifically about people who are exiting a religious system mm. and then doing the things that you know in a, in a full understanding and a mature understanding of the gospel that you could do these things, and it's not a big deal, but you have people who are weaker that are around you who are trying to exit that system uh, the best way to, to say it is, you know, uh, and, and I may stand apart on this from some people, but I don't uh, incorporate Mormonism in with the greater company of Christians. Right. I put it on the outside of Christianity as its own religion. Uh, but imagine that your pastor, let's not even put ourselves in the situation, but imagine that your pastor just led a Mormon to Jesus Christ. They've exited the Mormon church. And next Sunday, the head board member at your church goes up to the new Mormon and says, hey, you know what I've always wanted to do? And I think it would be a ton of fun for us to do together. Why don't we meet every day at McDonald's this week and let's just read the Book of Mormon together? Mm. You're reinforcing the system that they've exited from. So that's more of the context of what we see here. So the, the flip side of that, to take this verse and to look at somebody or somebody else's behavior and just go, you're that's a stumbling block for me. You need to stop. Mm -hmm. That tone that I just used is how you sound. And, I, and, and, and at some point, this almost exits the discipleship program. This exits the uh, uh, coming to faith cycle. This almost enters into what we're generally dealing with in our culture right now. Honey, you need to put on your big boy pants and let's just stop blaming everybody else for how we feel. Sometimes we're wearing our feelings on our sleeves and leaves fall in the front yard and all of a sudden I'm upset mm. because it's just not my day, you know, <laughs> and, and you can't put that on everybody else. So, I mean, if, if, if rap music makes you stumble, I, stop listening to it. This is not hard <laughs> stuff to figure out, you know. Love it. I love it. This is why I brought you guys along. Keep going. Keep going. So, so I, I think one of the one of the things that's complicating this, right, and we're all sitting on YouTube right now, right? We're in the social media sphere sp space of reality. So I think the other thing is that we read our cultural context into what we're reading into the Bible as well. Right. So we we look at the we look at the um kind of like the dynamic of relationship through our current relationships or what I what I wouldn't even call relationships, right? We look at um, how we determine um, friendship and brotherhood, right? Like we're always calling each other brothers, like, yeah, love your brother. But like Trey just said, like, I know, and I'll give an example. He probably won't watch this video because he's shooting a movie right now. But like, 
my one of my closest friends is a videographer and a film director, and he got hired to shoot a video. One of my best friend's weaknesses is women. So when I asked him about the video, I'm like, what kind of video is this? And then when he told me the kind of video it was, I'm like, why are you walking into that? Mm -hmm. Like, make sure you check in with me while you're there. <laughs> make sure you hit me up when you're done because you're walking into a situation surrounded by beautiful women and you know that's one of your weaknesses and you're single, right? Mm -hmm. But because of that relationship, I know him well enough to do that. Like, I mean, Ruslan, I consider you and I friends, but you live in California, mm -hmm. right? I live in mm -hmm. North Carolina. I don't know your personal issues as much as somebody that's close to you or your wife or people who are there locally mm -hmm. just because they've seen you in that context. And because of the fact that we have these superficial, you know, just vacant <laughs> relationships now where somebody subscribes to your YouTube channel and they feel like they know you enough to hold Levi accountable for wearing Spider-Man on Halloween, like, like yeah, that's, that's goofy, a real right? thing, by and the so, way, guys. I've had multiple people come at me, tell me I wasn't saved and I was a fake, lukewarm Christian because I let my son uh, dress up as uh, <laughs> as, as Miles as Morales Spider-Man following. It's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, like my, my son was Superman the other day. It's not Halloween. He, he's always Superman. It does, I mean, he was uh, Spider-Man and, you know, the Wild Kratz, whoever else. He has imagination. But I think that's another thing that makes us take the Bible out of context and allow us to use it as this scalpel that we, this scalpel that we want to use to, to kind of, um, to kind of, you know, do surgery on everybody else's lives. Right. Because one, we're not living in fellowship as you pointed Ruslan. Like the one question I always have for every pastor or anyone who claims they're leading in ministry is who is your pastor? Mm. So if you're a pastor, you should have a pastor, Come on. right? Like, so you've got all of these people who have yes. no leadership, who have no accountability. There's no one for them to confess their sins to. So they live in this, they live in this bubble of a reality where all they get to do is poke at other people's sin that they see, right? And it's, but there's no relationship there. So I think we're reading our social media context of relationship and friendship and brotherhood into the Bible, which is why I feel like I can, or somebody feels like they can just drop a scripture in your comment section with no context, with no relationship, with no information, and they feel like they're being Christian. So that's dangerous because mm. the, the the process of, of discipleship, the process of accountability, the process of discipline, yeah. right? These are biblical concepts. These are things that we're supposed to do within the body of Christ. And I think social media has us in a in a mindset where we do it through the context of social media, right? So that person who went in your DM or whatever on IG and says something about Levi, dressed like Miles Morales, really feels like he did biblical, you know, like a biblical discipline. Mm -hmm. Like I took it to the brother I had a problem with. But I'm like, yeah, he's not your brother, though. You don't know him. Yeah, right? There's no relationship there. And I think that's creating a dynamic where we just use words in lieu of building relationship um, and having permission to evangelize or to speak into somebody's life. Now it's just it's just superficial. And I think that's giving us a superficial application of God's word as well, because most of the stuff in our lives is only, you know, ankle deep anyway. Yeah, it's good. Let's That's go good. to let's go um, to Trey. I, I'll say this, too. I think we're all assuming even right now in First Corinthians eight, most people, they assume what weak means. And I think a lot of us, when we read weak, we think gives into temptation right away. That's actually not what Paul was using here, especially in the context of 1 Corinthians 8. I think that's actually the irony of it all. Weakness 
that he was referring to were those who hated the gray. Mm. To be weak was to not under, they literally thought, like I mentioned, uh, pathological dualism. They thought one thing is always irredeemably bad and the other side is always unimpeachably good. And so they can never understand like food. It's what you do with it that yep. makes it holy or not. They just thought the food itself, that's evil. Oh, that's good. And everything was just so compartmentalized. So the weak brother wasn't necessarily the one who gives into all temptation, but the one who gives into rage and just thinks all of these things are so compartmentalized. But you see for Timothy 4, right? Everything made by God was holy. So we make it holy. We sanctify it by giving thanks to the giver. And that is how we bring the blessings. And so really it is a word to us though, too, in 1 Corinthians 8, to those who can see the gray, to, to see, to understand uh, you know, some things, um, it, it depends on what you do with it. And so what it's telling us, bringing back 1 Thessalonians 5, is we do need to be patient with those who give those comments, who get all upset and angry, because it's, you know what, you're a weak brother. Mm. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing, but let's have this conversation, because that's what 1 Corinthians 8 tells me to do, not just to write you off, because then that actually makes, now you're making me go against the scriptures. And so it was a lot of people in Corinth who felt like they were finally enlightened and not in this fundamentalist way of living. And I think it's really like one of the biggest warnings I've recognized in my own heart. We have to be very careful not to be Pharisees towards the Pharisees. Woo! You know, we have to be very careful being self-righteous against those who are self-righteous. Come on. And so like, think like, to me, these are great opportunities for me as a pastor to take the humble route. Yeah. To take, you know what? Let me serve you right now because I know you're wrong. But that's okay because you know what? I used to quote Leviticus 19.28 all the time when I would see a tattoo. And I was like 10 <laughs> running around, Leviticus 19.28, yeah, what are you going to do now? And so I'm really grateful people didn't just, you know, shove me down. They graciously gave me the context and walked me through it. And again, I would say, Ruslan, that's not your responsibility as a whole. You're getting more and more followers. That's going to become impossible for you. But I love that's why you're saying get involved in a local church. That That's the beauty of being a pastor. We have to deal with those the weeds of life and just slowly walking alongside of people and empowering other people to do that. That's just one more example. Of why I think local church is helpful. And I love that you're an absolute champion of it. Um, but, but yeah, you can't do that in this platform, but I think it's a word to us not to be Pharisees towards the Pharisees. That's a bar. I think practically this is, this is where we, to me, this is how this verse plays out is when we read that and we go, um, your liberty, knowledge of someone's liberty does not cause you to stumble, okay? Me being flippant with my liberty is what would cause you to stumble. So say me and uh, Pastor Roy are hanging out, and Pastor Roy knows I'm trying to eat a low-carb diet because I want to lose this COVID-19 weight that I put on, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to slim down, right? And I go over there, and he knows I'm trying to do right, and then I go over there, and it's like, yo, I got McDonald's and this and that and all this, right? And and he just like flippantly puts it in front of me. That could be a way where maybe his liberty, which is nothing wrong in and of itself with McDonald's. I mean, I don't eat it, but that, that could potentially cause me to stumble. But that's not the same as me knowing that, hey, you know, Pastor Troy eats some stuff. Uh, Pastor Roy eats some stuff I don't eat. Pastor Trey may, you know, have, I don't, I don't know if you drink, Pastor uh, Trey, uh, you know, or, 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 or Jason may have a beer here and there, right? That, that's that's different. And so the, the, the slippery slope with that, that logic is when we say your, my knowledge of your liberty causes me to stumble is when someone is looking at Jesus's first miracle 
and he's turning water into wine. And then we start twisting scripture and making scripture in our image and our bias. Well, no, that couldn't have been wine. That was grape juice, guys. No, 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 no. He couldn't have done it. No, no, that's not what that really means. It never says he drank the wine. It was, you know what I'm saying? And so what happens is the, the recovering alcoholic, who, by the way, is the weaker brother. It, that is the weaker brother in this situation, can look and basically argue that Jesus caused them to stumble because he turned water into wine and they had knowledge of it, right? No, Jesus can't cause you to stumble. Jesus can't cause you to sin. That is, you're an error. You're an error there. And this is coming from somebody that does not drink. I don't drink alcohol. I don't find it beneficial. But I would never look down upon another brother who says, hey, man, I want to, um, you know, I, I have a beer. My best friend, he has a beer every now and then. I do not, I do not judge him. My personal conviction is it's not for me. Never had a taste for it. Don't see the value in it. But my brothers who want to exhibit that liberty, I'm all for that. That's on them. Just be wise. Don't get drunk. That's the standard. But you guys see how we can easily start taking stuff and twisting scripture. And we're, we think we're being innocent. Ah, oh, yeah, you know, their wine was less alcoholic. And that con, there's less alcohol. Yeah, but you're still twisting the scripture and you're making God in your image and your bias. And then that's when we start having, just to talk how this affects on a macro level, that's when we start getting into stuff like prohibition where america made alcohol illegal in the name of morality and jesus made it illegal which then created way more problems for us as a society instead of saying hey let's let people make their own decisions with this disputable manner no you are not you're not caused to stumble because you knew that Jesus turned water into wine. It doesn't cause you to stumble. Your own deceitful, wicked heart causes you to stumble. The sin in you causes you to stumble, right? Uh, Pastor Pastor Trey, you had a really good quote, and you said a society can never grow uh, by something like accommodating the weakest member or something like that. Can you can you touch on that real quick? Yeah, I really took this thought from Ed Friedman. He wrote a book called A Failure of Nerve. And and his whole one of his concepts is like a society will always regress when it's most concerned with the least mature member of the group. Mm. And so if we make every decision, if we always lead thinking of the least mature person, we never grow as a community. We never grow individually. And so it's very problematic um, to, to set up society. That's how we have now. Uh, to some extent, I would let's just say church world. A lot of us, like I, sometimes I want to preach on things because the passage demands it. It's going to be a little bit heavier, mm -hmm. and there's a huge movement, right? Oh, don't do that. You know, what about the non-believer in the room? I'm like, oh, I know, but what about the believer in the room? Yep. Like, we have to keep thinking about both of those things, and we have to keep leading, um, just by go, you know, raising people to the top. Like, our we're called to become like Jesus. Come on, something that I wish, um, you know, like the Eastern. Uh, Orthodox, like Christianity, uh, uses this term theosis. Have you ever heard of the word theosis? Mm -mm. Yeah. So this term theosis, I think it really needs to be brought back into to the you know Western Christianity. But it's essentially this process of becoming like God. Mm -hmm. And and so when they would gather together, uh, their their main goal as a church is to become like Jesus. Our main goal is to get in. Mm. You know, like like when we gather together, let's let's have Jesus know us, and we know Jesus. But but it should be, of course, we need to know Jesus. But we also should become like Him. That yeah. process of sanctification. Um, and so then it's like, hey, I understand you're weak right now, but let me just say, that's not going to be the same excuse in five years. We need to grow, right? Maybe six months. Let let's just not. Oh, because ten years ago, you said that bothered you. We're never going to talk about it again. That does no good for anybody. Come on. Wow. All right. Uh, okay. Does anybody else want to chime in on this topic? Um, 
Uh, uh, just to, to, to kind of to cap what Trey just said, I, I love that concept, right? Like, I, you know, I had a conversation with a pastor once and um, and he said, well, you know, when I'm when I'm preaching, I try to make sure. And then we were talking about politics and racism and uh, systemic oppression. And he was, you know, and it's a, it's a white pastor at a at a um, at an evangelical, actually Southern Baptist Church, um, SBC Church. And he said, well, when I'm preaching, I'm trying to not offend the person that I know that's on the right. That's like the avid Trump supporter. And I'm also trying not to offend the person who I know is like a social a civil rights activist and, and pro and it was, and I was kind of looking at him, and I was like, "Well, the weird thing is, is that like you should be offending both of them, not trying to not <laughs> offend either of them, right?" And I think that's what Trey talks about. Like we're trying to not upset the believer, and we use the excuse that like the unbeliever can't handle it. Mm. But normally, the unbeliever is the one that that hears the dynamic and challenging message and has this like zealous conversion, where the people who are already supposed to be believers hear it and leave the church. Yeah. Right. So like you like normally the church that's growing a lot of times isn't always like that's why you have seeker friendly churches. Right. Like the church that's growing with existing believers isn't normally the one that's radically saving people. Right. Because they're saying stuff that believers are comfortable with, which means most believe a lot of believers haven't transitioned away from the stuff they were doing when they were unbelievers anyway. Right. Like you know, like Ruslan said, everybody here complaining. Half of y'all just came off the porn hub. The other half of y'all still live with your girlfriends. <laughs> right. You're fornicating later on today. Right. And that's the same. And we know this is pastors in the church. Like, you know, people in the church that come to church every Sunday who live together that are not married. Right. Who just somebody you're you know, you're you're baptizing babies <laughs> and, and having christenings for for for, um you know, children that are born out of wedlock like. We know that sin is abounding, but then we try not to make people who are sinning uncomfortable and we blame it on the unbeliever in trying to be receptive mm-hmm. and seeker friendly. But really, it's because the believers the we have haven't grown to Trey's point. Like, it's cool that that was your problem seven years ago or five years ago. But the more that you're having this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, the more that you're allowing your heart to be converted from stone to flesh, you should be moving past those things. And yeah, you'll have something new to deal with, but this should be a new conviction in a new process of sanctification and not the same one from nine years ago or 10 years ago. And somebody and everybody in the comment keeps referring referring to alcohol, right? Like, yeah, the guy with the one year chip isn't the one that's going into the bar, but the guy that's got a 10 year chip that's been sober for 10 years can go to a restaurant that serves alcohol or to a bar with people and then not be able to drink. They can abstain from the evil because they've they've had the development and the and the time and the discipleship to do so. So I think we're, you know, we we play too much with that and we just allow believers to stay comfortable. Mm. And mm. if we're comfortable, we're not being Christ-like. Come on. Because we are so far from Christ's perfection. There should be nothing about us that makes us feel comfortable. We all suck. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, the bishop. It, we all suck compared to Jesus. So that means you got some room to grow. So we definitely yeah. need to be progressing in sanctification and not just being comfortable and then pointing at the people that we know are still doing things that we manage to overcome when there's right. still things we need to overcome that we're avoiding and that even the church avoids talking to us about. Come on, mic drop. What else? It, it, I love that. And, you know, it's so easy to say, I'll be that pastor that speaks the truth. But then like we have plenty of opportunities to do it now. And I just honestly, it is tough. It's hard. Like there's a lot of things don't people don't think about. Like we're a smaller budget. 
there's families, you know where they stand. And it's a temptation to know, man, if I say this this week, I might not ever see them next week. And how am I going to feed my children in three weeks? Mm. You know, like that's a real thing. And so it's not an excuse, but I think it's also like, people are like, how come pastors don't speak up? Well, they love to feed their families. So which mm. is also why I like being bivocational to like, be like, you know what, whatever. You Talk know, about it. Thank you. you know what I'm saying? I, I love Trey. Um, thank you. And I don't even want to cut you off, but thank you. You're like the first pastor that I've ever actually heard admit that, right? Oh, I've right said on. it all the time. It's been like, <laughs> look, man, they, and that's like, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like tri-vocational. That's why I, I kind of refuse to take a salary because I'm going to say stuff that you don't like mm, and I don't right. necessarily care. Come but on. Thank you for saying that because it's a real thing, right? I tell people yeah. like, if I preach a sermon that can put my children's college education my mortgage, right? Like you really got to pray about that. You got to, yeah. that's got to be a double thumbs up from Jesus. You need Come both on. keys in that lock turning at the same time. If you're going to fire that missile where I can have one key. And I'm like, well, if they don't like it, <laughs> they won't yeah. invite me back. So we all think we'd be Bonhoeffer, but most of us would be those German Christians that just stay silent and find themselves in the mess that they found themselves in honestly. And so really, I think a lot of this is more, not a call like, Hey, step up. It's like, plead for God to give you that courage and that boldness mm. and that intimacy with the father that you can speak that truth. Um, I was talking to my associate pastor this week and I was like, I think the word for preachers in this season is stop preaching to the choir and hold everybody's feet to the fire, you know, and there's nobody who's who we set apart. Like we're all in this. And, and I think the pastor has to lead by first talking about the ways that we have been wrong, the ways that we are repenting, and actually actually doing that, I'm super grateful that God has made it within the system of humanity. People can tell when you're faking it. Mm. And, and, and I know I know how to fake it. Like I'm just when you communicate for a while, you can act like you're repentant. That's an easy thing to do. But I think there's something about the spirit. It really does affect the room when when the pastor is leading by repentance and understanding, hey, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the hero, but I know the one who is. I think that leads people towards that maturity. Like my greatest, my, I love it. It feels like cheating. My primary job to grow my church is to grow myself. Come on. You know, like my primary job to bless my congregation is to make sure I am blessed by the father. I do not want to ever, ever lead on empty. Um, and that like, that feels like cheating. It's, it's amazing. But I've seen it time and time again, when I get myself right with the Lord, the congregation follows suit. That's good. That's good. Trey, you stumbled across this point. This will be the last thing I want to ask you guys again. This isn't necessarily about a, a, a Bible verse, but I do think it's an important conversation. Both of you guys be, mentioned being bivocational. Folks didn't even know what bivocational meant in the chat. Uh, bivocation. You have two vocations. Pastor Roy has three vocations. I have three as well, technically, sometimes four. Totally. <laughs> and we, in my previous chat, people were asking me about like what, how much should pastors make and da-da-da-da-da, right? Right. And, and I was very frank and I said, listen, I'm in a spot personally where I want um, the pastors that are in my life. I would love for them to earn enough from their church uh, salary where they can afford to pay for a home, afford to pay it off in their lifetime, you know, uh, 
live comfortably, have all their needs met. I, I think that's a reasonable thing. That, but the tricky part with that is that's subjective to region to region, meaning that a pastor in California will have to make like 150 to 200K to do that versus right. a pastor in North Carolina, right, could probably maybe do that on 75. I don't, I don't know what the cost of living is there, right? So, but, and the tricky part is then the congregation may fill away if they're like, hey, pastor's making 200 grand a year, 150 grand a year, what the heck, right? Uh, and and so that that's an interesting dynamic. Um, and then also, like, is, is should there be a cap for pastors, right? Meaning that if a pastor is running a $30 million uh, budget, should he be allowed to get paid a million dollar salary or $750,000? Does that become exciting? And I'm not talking about books, endorsements, side businesses. I'm talking from the tithe money. That can get uh, complicated. But what I didn't really think about is what both of you guys just mentioned is when your pastor is bivocational, he isn't motivated to coddle you or to not offend you or to not, you know, convict you of sin because, right. yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's because, hey, his kids are going to college. His mortgage is getting paid for. He's going to be fine if half the church decides to leave, if he has to take a strong stance. Um, what thoughts do you guys have on that? All of you, all of us here have multiple hustles, multiple things that we do, multiple side jobs. We're all creators, right? Uh, what, what are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I love Jason Mayfield's perspective on this, and I think he really honors the pastor, so I'm excited to hear from him as well. But, like, I would say, like, I'm exhausted right now. So I've, I worked 11 hours today doing concrete work and construction. So I'm, I was like, that's, like, I'm feeling it. And some days it's that long, some days it's not that long at all. Um, I would say, like, there's so many benefits. Number one, I think, um, like, I was listening to a podcast this morning about a pastor who I actually knew um, at Inland Hills Church, you know, committed suicide. Uh, Karen Newhoff interviewed his uh, Andrew's wife. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to it and thinking about it. And what I'm grateful for is I get, I get depressed in ministry, like stuff gets hard. Mm. And I love that I can pour concrete, build something mm. and say, I did it and move on. Like I can point to progress. Yeah. And in ministry, it's often like you're banging your head against the wall. You actually would be content if you're just neutral at times. Cause it always feels like you're just falling back. Oof. And so like, what's been good for me physically and mentally is to do something with my hands because pastoral ministry is so much with your head. And so you can get in your head. And so it's good to just get my hands dirty and just work and sweat and not think about things. And so that's a huge benefit. Um, I also like my, I'm a fourth generation pastor. So my grandma has stories about how she can never have anything like good as a child. Like anytime a, a church member would come over, like a modern day version, they're like, why do you have that Keurig there? Mm, Who bought that Keurig? Wow. Like, it's just this, you know, these, like I've actually seen that before. It's just so annoying. And it's such freedom to be like, you didn't buy it. The concrete job I did last week did so, but I do think though, sometimes it's a, like, um, I do think I don't want to create a theology though, where every pastor has to be bivocational. Mm -hmm. It works really mm -hmm. well for me, yep. but I, like you said, like I, I, that's me. I'm not going to principalize that, say every pastor should do it. Right. Um, but it does like, we have an associate pastor. I'm a, we're a smaller church, but I have an associate pastor because I'm not taking as much money from our budget. Mm. So stuff like that, it really does help me leverage and it keeps me mentally, physically healthy. And honestly, it wins the respect of the community because a lot of them think, what do you do? And they, Oh, you, you have a normal, normal person job like it, it lends ways to more conversations 
And so it gives it gives me an ability to have more respect from others, to be honest, especially we're kind of in a blue collar uh, town. And so like they don't think you work at all if you're sitting in an office all day. So <laughs> those are some of the reasons why I do try vocational. Um, and I would like to do less concrete, not going to lie, especially on days like today with Christmas coming up. It's like, why? Um, but I am grateful for it. Jason, you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's easy to say it from the pastoral position, you know, and let me just be clear, you know, we are independently financially okay. And, uh, but uh, I was a pastor for over a decade. Um, you know, it is easy for us to look at pastors and say, if they're reliant on the salary, they're not going to speak up. Mm. It is also, you know, I think, wise for us to remember that it's not all on the pastor. It is also possible for uh, a church board or church members to decide that they're going to take control of the pastor. Mm. You know, and so the temptation is on both sides. If if he goes here, I am going to make his life miserable. Mm. And by the way, pastors who are afraid of speaking up, that's not an unwarranted fear under certain contexts. I know a guy who spoke up one time about the Masons, Mm. the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. And he said for the next three months, his power kept getting shut off. Mm. He kept getting pulled over by the police. He had a court order that he couldn't go back into his church to preach. I mean, he went through a living hell for several months. So there are moments where you're going to, you know, you you could potentially rock that beast. But to your question, though, on how much should we pay pastors? That was pretty, basically the direct question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm there. You know, we have to remember a couple of things. Number one, you said it a moment ago. Not every locale is the same. Yep. Not every church is the same in terms of size and capacity. I'd say this: a church under five hundred, which I would consider a small to small, moderate sized church, mm-hmm. should probably be paying their pastor thirty to forty percent of the budget. Wow. Okay. Uh, unless that's un, you know. Uh, unfathomable you know if you're if you if you happen to have someone in there who's you know giving six million dollars a year you might want to reconsider that and so there's a check mark for that i think most pastors should be being paid whatever the local football coach or the local high school principal is being paid that is typically a good marker Mm -hmm. those are higher paid professional positions that deal with some of the similar stresses that pastors deal with they're dealing with people's emotional issues. They're dealing with people's control issues. They're also dealing with an organization that needs to build money and fund. But outside of that, I say, this is my official answer. You can quote me on this. Pay your pastor as much as humanly possible and do not control his income outside of the church. Mm. I, I like promise you. I promise <laughs> you. Yeah, after 11 hours of pouring concrete, Trey is on board with this plan. <laughs> I promise you the more you invest in your pastor and the more your pastor has the ability to build wealth outside of you. And a lot of those pastors who do do come around and go, you know what? I don't want this anymore. Mm. You guys can have this back. You have some extreme cases like Rick Warren, who've paid back the entire lifetime of salary that he received from the church. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that. If I, if I got rich, I'd just keep that salary as a gift. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you right now, but I, I, I say pay your pastor as much as humanly possible. Not only is that good for him, that is also good for you. 
there are some things that I do not believe can be received without reciprocation. Come on. And that is one of the best ways to reciprocate. And there is a, a little theology I, I just toss in on this. It's just a little proverbial in nature is uh, everyone should remember that your tithes do not pay your pastor or your staff at the church, especially your ministry staff. Your tithe does not pay them. Your tithe belongs to God. Mm. They are on God's payroll. Come on. And I'm not a pastor, and I have a lot of money, and I give a lot of money, and I'm just going to say this right now. If you're on your pastor about their salary, you need to back off. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's the word from the Lord for you right now, in Jesus' yeah. name. Mm. That's and, good. and I would say, too, I think that's so good. And sorry, uh, Roy, I'll just insert this real quick. But, um, like, I think it's really lazy to think. I'm not saying Jason said this at all. He would agree with me. But I think it's lazy to think, okay, the larger the church that means the harder that job is um, because you do reach a point where like, like Matt Chandler talks about all the time. He's like, I'm a specialist now. Like, cause mm -hmm. I have so many people, I just have to, I can work 30 hours on my sermon. Like I, that's all I get to do because you have so many other staff around you. Mm -hmm. And so I saw this Twitter thread, John Tyson talked about um, just let's not compare each one. Cause they each have their own unique difficulties, yep. but the small church pastor has so many hats mm. and it is so exhausting yep. and it's a joy. It's a privilege, but let me tell you, he is, he is a worker worth his wage yep. and it's lazy to, to determine somebody's value based off of how big their church is. Um, and just so many things, I think we're just really lazy and not critical thinkers with that. And we just think, Oh, the bigger, the better. Um, it's not always the case. Um, but yeah, just because it's bigger doesn't always mean, okay. It always increases in level of being difficult. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, guys, again, Pastor Trey has a church plant in the Phoenix area. He is bivocational. And by the way, to piggyback what, what Jason said, it, it is crucial for us to understand how high demand, high stress of a position it is. Just to be on a church staff, like just that, but let alone to be the head and the and the leader of that, it is a very tough position, which is probably why me and a Jason and Pastor Roy was like, yeah, nah, we just going to go over here and get this bread in the market and then be generous to our pastors, right? Be wow. generous and gracious to our pastors and to the ministries uh, that, that we get to be uh, uh, blessings towards. That is... For me, it is intentional because I just did the math and was like, I can make make more money in the market, you know, whether I'm doing music, selling merchandise, AdSense on YouTube, whatever, and that just makes more sense for me. Why? So that I could pour back into my local churches and help my pastors because a lot of them aren't driving Bentleys. We keep saying the tithes shouldn't go to the Bentleys. Very few people who are pastors drive Bentleys. Let's just get that clear. That is not common, right? Uh, Pastor Trey, uh, can you just just touch on uh, some of the challenges as a pastor uh, that you face day to day? And, and I don't know, you want to get into particulars of how big your church is, you know what I mean? But what is what is that like, you know, as a fourth generation pastor? And and, yeah. and just give people that, that real deal insight of like, what is it to be a pastor in 2020? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really loaded. Uh, so I actually just posted a video on my YouTube this morning, kind of talking about that a little bit, just kind of peeling back the curtain. Um, but like, 
oh man, where do I start? I will say this. I was an associate pastor for a while Mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for associate pastors. So don't hear me wrong. I think some people, I actually think a lot of people are called to be number fours, but they just think, oh, I need to be the number one, which I mean by head and they're miserable. They would be, they would kill it at number four and do great, way better ministry for the Lord. If they don't, some people just like, I have to be the head guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did sleep tremendously better when I was number two. Mm. Um, when I was the associate pastor, because at the end of the day, I can say, mm. go to him, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm trying, but I'm going to support him. And this is his vision, you know, kind of thing. And there's just something beautiful about that. Yeah. Now in your ministry, in any capacity, it's always hard. So I don't want to say that to degrade, but I am saying there is something about having that lead pastor position that is difficult because I mean, like we're about to celebrate five years and we're at the point where I can't blame anything anymore. Our church is where it's at because of my leadership. You know, like just kind of reality, you know, either I didn't staff it right or I didn't lead the correct way. I didn't preach enough. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just so difficult. Like, so we're a smaller church Um, with COVID. It's so hard to tell with anything. Sure. Uh, We go from between like 100 to 150 people um, Mm -hmm. is where we're at. And so uh, it's it's very difficult. Um, But like that's enough people. They all have my number you know, and they all reach out to me. And I love that. I can't that as a privilege. I pray for every single one of my people every single week. Mm. Um, it's on my Quizlet app. Like it's a joy to pray for each person on my prayer walks. So I love that. I love being a smaller church pastor uh, for a lot of those reasons. And I'm actually learning um, so many people go through severe depression when they like make it big too fast, mm. you know, and like they're all of a sudden have 2000 people. That is a lot of weight. That's a lot of spiritual weight put on your shoulders. Mm. And so I've been praising God just that he has been able to slow me incrementally lead me in. And, and, and the biggest wisdom I got from one of my um, seasoned uh, pastors, that's one of my pastors. He says, enjoy the season you're in mm. because in a few years when you're bigger, cause you're going to get bigger, you're going to miss these days, Come on, you know? And so just enjoying that. But yeah, I mean, like I'm always the first guy we, we have deacons, but I'm still the first guy to go to the hospital. I'm the guy who answers the call. They call me at midnight, you know, crying about something. Um, it's really hard because I'm pretty empathetic about like I carry people's burdens and there's a lot of people's burdens. I and mean, we have a lot of people in our church who have miscarriages. A lot of people in our church are almost getting, you know, have gone through divorce in the past. They're going through childhood trauma. And so like the pastor today has to be a psychologist, a counselor, you know, a professor, like all of these things. And when you're a small church, you have to be all of those because you can't just be like, oh, we have the counseling department down the hall. No, it's we're here. Yeah. You know, and like when I have people yell at me and complain, I don't have like these layers of security between me and them. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like you have to complain to these five other pastors before you get to me. Right. I'm the one who gets it you know, every week. And so it's, it's hard. It's, it takes its toll. And that's why Sabbath rhythm has been very important for me. Mm. That's why fasting has been important for me Come on, uh, from social media, different times of the week. Um, Life changers for me, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, uh, those guys, um, my spiritual mentor, Thomas Ashbrook, they changed my life like two and a half years ago. I was on the road to burnout Mm. fast Mm. because I just was trying to preach harder, get more creative, like, cause I have entrepreneur type talents. I have giftings, yeah. but I didn't have the fruit, right? You know, I had the gifts of the spirit, but not the fruit of the spirit. And I was dying on the inside. And, um, and so God graciously kind of just opened my eyes. I think before it was too late. And so I totally rearranged my schedule. I get up at five every day now, right? Like my first two and a half, three hours, if I'm not pouring concrete or just me and God. Yeah reading scriptures, praying, going on a run, praying again. Like my prayer life has increased like dramatically. Yeah. You, you learn you can't do it without it. You just simply can't. Yep. 
And so I've learned to love my weaknesses and, and admit when I've been a failure and admit the size of my church and all those things, because God is glorified in those things. It's not just like a, a cheesy slogan. Like it is absolutely true. And the pressure is off when the posture is on just this posture of like, I'm here for you, Jesus. And I'll say that I'm talking too much. The last thing um, that I think pastors need to remember is my spiritual director asked me, he said, you know, what's your primary job, you know, like in the kingdom. And I want to say preacher, right? Pastor. And he's like, look, your primary identity is ask yourself this question. Am I satisfied serving Jesus? Mm. Which, what does that look like? Is it serving a thousand people serving? I don't, but am I satisfied serving Jesus? And if I'm with that, praise the Lord for 50 people, praise the Lord for 500, praise the Lord for a lot of salary, praise the Lord for not, am I satisfied serving Jesus? And I think that's been trying to be my, my anchor as I go through the ups and downs of pastoring, which last thing, I already said that I'm such a pastor. Pastoring has the highest highs and the lowest lows, but those highest highs are really fun, mm. really, really enjoyable. You're there when people are born. You're there when people die. You're there when you see them come to life in Christ. You're there through all of it, and it's such a privilege. That's good. That's good, guys. Moral of the story, man, pray for your pastors. Please pray for your pastors. Look for opportunities to give to your pastors. Simple things like you know, uh, getting them something nice for Christmas really can go a long way and, and bless them. So I want you guys to be praying for your pastors. Uh, I want you guys to uh, be plugged into local churches, like especially if you're in the Phoenix area, check out Pastor Trey Van Camp's church. Um, if you're in an, uh, uh, the North Carolina area, reach out to Pastor Roy. I'm going to bring it back around to everybody. If you guys could just plug your YouTube pages. I have uh, Trey's and Jason's pinned up. Um, and then Pastor Roy, I got your comment pinned up. So do go subscribe to their uh, pages. If you guys could just kind of again just tell everybody uh, your your pages, what they're about, um, and uh, and and we'll we'll wrap up here. Yeah, I'll go. Um, so again, Pastor Roy Dockery, um, I have a podcast that started generating YouTube content. There's music videos and spoken word poetry. I do a lot, right? You know, like Trey said, I'm probably like you know six vocations. I don't even know what that terminology is, but um. But yeah, so just check me out. Also can just go to RoyDockery.org and everything is on there as well. I am still kind of old school. I got a I got a website. It's not all on social, but at Pastor Roy Dockery on Instagram and Pastor Roy Dockery on YouTube as well. There you go. All right, let's go to uh Jason. Yeah, I uh Jason Mayfield. You can check me out. YouTube.com slash Jason Mayfield. JasonMayfield.com next week. I am releasing the world's greatest Bible reading plan for 2021 at tearupyourbible.com. And on my YouTube channel, hey, y'all should come over and check me out. Uh, This year, we've been equipping people to read the Bible on their own, so we've got a ton of uh, material there. But next year, the focus is singularly on teaching the Bible and helping people experience grace for life through Jesus Christ. Christ. I'm telling you, if you come over there, I'm going to help you get some of that old cruddy religion off of you. I'm going to help you walk in victory and walk in grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love it. All right. Pastor Troy, Trey. Yeah. So I'm Trey Van Camp. Um, and so look me up on YouTube, Instagram. Would love to connect. Uh, my tagline is Jesus offers you a better way to life and a better way to lead. Mm. And so a better way to life. I capture vlogs. I show my life. I show my kids the process of planning a church, 
there's days when we thought we had a building and then it was pulled away from us last second. That's my channel trailer. That was fun. Uh, so it's real life of uh, just documenting of being a church planner, just trying to make it, but then also to lead. So I do a lot of things like Q and trays um, where I, I interact with people. I totally take a lot from what Ruslan is doing. Um, just try to post some of my sermons. So really anything I'm thinking through, I just trying to post and give life to as many people as possible about how Jesus is better. That is awesome. Guys, listen, uh, I'm so grateful for these men of God. Uh, Hopefully you go check some of them out. We're going to be potentially doing another one of these. We'll see how it goes. If you guys want to see another one of these, I need you to hit the like button and leave a comment on what passage you would like us to cover next. Uh, what other things are maybe you're confused on? What, what, what passages have been thrown at you, perhaps? And you're like, ah, I feel it's a little out of context. Can I get a little? Can I get a little clarity on this? Let us know, and we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be jumping into that. It's potentially we'll see we'll see how often they want to do this with me. I'm so grateful for these guys. I'm actually like a fan of all of these dudes. I'm subscribed to all their YouTube pages, as you should be as well. So thank you to them, and uh, thank you guys so much. Make sure you subscribe, like, hit the bell notification, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Pastor Roy's is pinned up in the uh, chat and in the comments, and then everybody else is in the title of this video. Thank you guys so much, and we are out. I saw my mama smile through the silhouette. Sunshine and all. But she don't know that I still feel like we ain't made it yet No, I ain't lying at all, I ain't lying at all I remember walking back from grocery stores and she would carry me sore Muscles didn't mean a thing, we just had to see this thing through And now she got bad hips and needs to replace I wonder if I walk, could this pain have been erased? Uh, 